Peter has an Elm Street. Hello and welcome back to Every Town Has an Elm Street. Uh, it's our first episode in a while. Uh, we're just going to do a short one today, kind of random. We have decided, uh, it's Scoot and I, no Sanchez this week, but... Thank God! <laughs> we have decided to uh, do a short list of some of what we feel to be the the greatest unsung heroes from the horror genre. Um, characters that maybe don't get uh, quite as much credit as they deserve. Yeah, I mean, they don't get the credit they deserve, so we're going to give them some credit. That's right. This uh, It should be one of our shorter episodes here, I'm thinking. We're going to do a top five. We're going to start with uh, the 1988 classic, Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. Because, you know, who doesn't love this movie? Uh, there's the a character in this... In it. <laughs> there's a character... So, all right, if you haven't, for some reason, seen Halloween 4... Um, or don't know anything about the Halloween franchise. Uh, it starts off in 78. Michael Myers comes home. He starts killing babysitters, uh, one of which turns out to be his uh, infant sister, now fully grown. Um, Plot twist! He's, he's been in a mental institution for, like, 15 years. Uh, so that's the first movie. The second movie takes place the same night. Jamie Lee Curtis plays Laurie Strode. She's in the hospital. Michael Stalks are there. And at the end of the movie, um, Dr. Loomis, the hero from the first, you know, kind of the hero from the first movie, comes back and uh, it's assumed that he and Myers die in an explosion at the hospital. So a couple years later, when Halloween 3 comes out, it has no Michael Myers and people are pissed. <laughs> And uh, it kills the franchise for a little bit. Then they the rights get sold and the new producers come in. And in 1988, we get the return of Michael Myers. So it's 10 years after the, the original attack. He comes back to Haddonfield, Illinois. And um, this time he's stalking his niece. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. A lot of this stuff gets retconned later. But um, supposedly Jamie Lee Curtis had a daughter named Jamie... And um, and then died in a car accident, and now Jamie is being raised by the um, uh, by the Carruthers family. Well, the main the main lead in this movie, Rachel, is is our female teen lead. Uh, she um, is seeing a guy named Brady, and for our first movie, Brady is going to be our unsung hero, which is a little bit of a strange choice considering he's kind of an asshole. Yeah, a bit of a dick. Brady I don't know is, if many people would call him a hero necessarily, but yeah, definitely a hero to us. Well, Brady is played by Sasha Jensen. He, uh, You may know him. He's one of the stoners, Don, in Dazed and Confused. He also played Possibly Gru- the best stoner. He also played Grueler in Joss Whedon's Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie from 1992. He gets turned into a, a basketball Duncan vampire. And in both uh, of these movies, he looks way too old to play the high schooler that he's supposed to be. Yeah, it looks like he was about 24 um, when Halloween 4 came out, which means he was His eyebrows were 38. <laughs> he was 28 for Buffy, and he was 29 in Dazed and Confused. Wow. Um, uh, Brady is a, a bit of a douche. 
And he and Rachel are supposed to have a date, and she has to cancel so she can take Jamie trick-or-treating. So he goes and hooks up with the sheriff's daughter. Which is always uh, a smart idea when you're yep. uh, a you, high school punk. Yeah, why wouldn't you want to uh, hook up with a guy, you know, the daughter of a man who carries a gun on his hip? Hi, I categorically have problems with authority, but I'm going to date the sheriff's daughter. <laughs> it sounds like uh, sound decision-making. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, eventually Rachel, Jamie, the sheriff's daughter, Brady, they all end up in the same house. Um, under sitcom. Yeah. Under protection of a, of a deputy while Sheriff Meeker goes out looking for Michael Myers. Uh, the deputy obviously dies. Um, and this is where Brady gets a chance to redeem himself. Um, sheriff's daughter is dead. Uh, Kelly Meeker played by Kathleen Kinmount. Um, She gets killed. The deputy gets killed. Rachel has a chance to escape with Jamie, so to buy them some time, Brady decides to get in between them and Michael. Um, He's not not very proficient with his shotgun, so he starts throwing throwing haymakers. (laughs) And he... You know, he lasts a good minute, maybe, before Michael Myers kills him. Well, yeah, there's some, like, back and forth with the gun, and they each get a hit in, and uh, he throws his punches. Um, but, like, once Michael got him pinned against the wall, it's pretty much game over. Yeah, there's not much you can do at that point. Um, so, while Brady's kind of a douche, we felt like uh, he had a good redeeming point here. He could have, oftentimes in movies, this type of character, you're going to see... Uh, you know, run away, leave yeah. the girl. Um, so he, he made a run at it, tried to redeem himself, save the kid. Um, so for that, we're going to give him the number five spot on our list here. Um, Even though he's a douche. He is a douche. So that's about all he deserves uh, time-wise here. Yeah, you so, had some balls facing Michael. It didn't do much, uh, but we salute you. Moving on to number four and the newest movie on our list, uh, 2012's Cabin in the Woods. Fran Kranz, or as we call him, Frank Rands. Oh, Frank. Frank Rands. Good guy. Uh, Fran plays Marty, and Joss Whedon fans will know um, Fran Kranz. He was on Dollhouse, mm-hmm. and uh, I believe he showed up in Buffy, too. I could be wrong about that. I can't remember. He's done some Netflix stuff lately. He was in a decent little Netflix film. I can't remember the name now, of course. But yeah, I still, I mean, Cabin in the Woods, he really shone, shone, shined? Yeah. He shined Okay, so It was just Dollhouse, it was not uh, Buffy. Not Buffy. I guess everyone who shows up in other Whedon projects, I just assume they did at least one episode of, of Buffy, but yeah. he did do one episode of uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. He hmm. was un- uncredited in Who Pooped the Bed as a college student. <laughs> That's like the best episode ever. <laughs> I did all the poops. <laughs> um, yeah, and then he he was in Whedon's Much Ado About Nothing, which was just uh-huh. full of uh, Whedon alums. Uh, but he plays Marty the Stoner, character near and dear to my heart. He turns out to be um, the hero of the movie to an extent, as much as that movie can have a hero. Yeah, um, we see a pre-Thor Chris Hemsworth uh, get killed before he can do anything heroic. And uh, it turns out that Marty's, the weed Marty is smoking is making him um, 
immune to some of the drugs they're pumping into the cabin, which make everyone stupid. If you haven't seen this movie, it's been five years. What are you waiting for? Yeah, get on that. The basic premise is, you know, these five stereotypical horror characters head up to this cabin in the woods. Uh, You get your harbinger of doom warning. Uh, as they approach from the the creepy old man at the gas station, much like um, Friday the Thirteenth, yep. creepy yep. old man, on point. Uh, but once they get there, the game is rigged. Um, rather than relying on them to just play out or play up to the '80s stereotypes, um, Crazy Ralph—that was the, I was trying to remember from Friday the Thirteenth—is oh. the, the harbinger of doom. That's a hard um, name to remember, too. This guy, he yeah. was insane. I think it was Ricky. Insane Ricky? Something insane like that. Ricky. No, that's Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Garbage day! So, uh, they get to this cabin, and, and to help things along, uh, without totally ruining the end of the movie or anything, there are forces at work. They pump these gases into the cabin, and it sort of uh, forces these characters to play to their character types. Uh, Marty is a, is a stoner and that kind of, uh, keeps him immune to the gas, but the other characters, um, turn into stereotypical, like the jock and the, the promiscuous girl and the, you know, the virgin, um, and they get picked off one by one, but Marty with as clear a head as, you know, a stoner can have, uh, (laughs) manages to, uh, keep his head above water at one point you think he's dead he ends up coming back to save uh dana who is our lead girl um and they uh they sort of work out through the end of the movie together uh my favorite part with marty is he's slowly figuring out what's going on throughout the movie and it kind of sounds like just the ramblings of a crazy pothead like yeah sure man people are listening to us there's some some big plan going on here he's just like fuck you guys i was right this whole time when I like when they go in the cellar and they're like looking at all the like basically like <laughs> choose your doom. It's like in Ghostbusters, you know, like where they make them choose yeah. how they're gonna die. And he's just looking at all of them like, don't read from that book. Why are you what reading is- that? Are you Why kidding you me? <laughs> and then Hemsworth is like, uh, we better split up. He's like, wait, are you serious? We should absolutely not split up. Definitely <laughs> not split up. <laughs> and yeah, uh, a, a so, voice of reason in an otherwise unreasonable group of people. He, uh, he serves as comic relief for the first half of the movie, but then, um, you know, through the second half, really gets to play kind of an unsung hero role. I think when people look back at it, they still, you know, often think of him as the comedic relief, but really he's, um, you know, he's more important that uh-huh. to that than that story-wise. Um, well, it's ultimately his, well, I guess we don't want to give too much, but yeah. Ultimately, the pothead is responsible for the eventual outcome of that world. He certainly is. World Changer. Um, that's another movie, if you haven't seen it, phenomenal cat. Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford um, as, like, the the men behind the curtain. So awesome. Uh, we're, we're phenomenal. And uh, really fun movie. Joss Whedon uh, was involved, wrote or produced or something. I think Drew Goddard directed it. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, that one's worth seeing if you haven't. I think... We can move to number three. Number three mm-hmm. on our list, going back to arguably my favorite horror film of all time, 
Which One we've a, never spoke about on the show before. No, never. Uh, it was actually a made-for-TV miniseries, which is now, you know, if you watch it now, it's displayed as a one, you know, three-hour movie. But um, that's Stephen King's It from 1990, the uh, the precursor to the recently crowned highest-grossing horror movie of all time, um, Andy Muschietti's It mm-hmm. from earlier this year. Um. In this movie, you've got the Losers Club, the seven kids, and through the first half of the movie, they are the ones that, um, you know, they band together and they defeat Henry Bowers and Pennywise. And then uh, where they really separate from each other, though, is as they grow older, they all leave Derry, almost all. Uh Six of the seven leave Derry, and the six who leave Derry all go on to lead successful lives. Overly um, successful lives. Even. Overly. You know, famous architect, uh, famous actor, rich businesswoman, you know, like, mm-hmm. they're all insanely successful. And the one person who stays behind in Derry is Mike Hanlon, uh, who is played by Tim Reed, um, which, you know, is not uh, not an actor that made his name in genre films. He's a comedic actor. He was on WKRP in Cincinnati back in yep. the 70s. Um People a little younger will remember uh, him as the dad from Sister Sister. Oh shit! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tim Reed is in. Uh, he's did, he's like a sitcom veteran, mm-hmm. more so than a horror movie staple or anything. Um, but goddamn, that man's a hero. Yep. So his character, Mike Hanlon, stays behind in Derry, and. Um, he becomes does not, the librarian. He gets a shitty house on a shitty part of town. He ages faster than everyone else. He turns gray. He's yeah. He does not uh, leaving Derry in, imbues you with some sort of luck, I suppose. And staying mm-hmm. in Derry, you don't get that. So, but he's the the keeper of the lighthouse. So Mike Hanlon stays back, and as the others leave, slowly their memories fade, and they all forget. You know, as as unbelievable as that may be, their memories fog over and they forget. And it's only because Mike Hanlon stayed behind um, that, you know, 30 years later when the killings start happening again and kids mm-hmm. disappearing, Mike's the one that has to call everyone back. That a alone, tough decision on its own, I mean. Having yeah. to bring back these people who you know don't want to come back, but especially from their rich, successful lives. And if that weren't enough... We find out later in the movie that about 10 years earlier, Mike, feeling a bit suicidal, um, his life was going nowhere. He actually went back in the sewers by himself mm-hmm. to get the um, the silver bullets, not really bullets, but the silver they used uh, to defeat Pennywise's children. He goes back in the sewer and finds them. And when he brings he brings them back out and gives them to Bill and... Uh, Mike is instrumental in not only getting the Losers Club back together, but defeating Pennywise a second time. Even though he's not physically there, he's in the hospital as he gets yeah. attacked by Henry Bowers. Mike is 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 our narrator, and he is um, really the the glue that holds the team together. And if not for him, the the killings in Derry might have continued and i just don't think he gets a lot of credit because he's not at the final showdown he's in the hospital when they go back to the sewers right. at the end um which i think is kind of shows how important he was because pennywise knew you know mike can't be there this guy's fucking dealt with my shit way too long we got to take him off the board 
Yep. So Pennywise sends Henry Bowers in to to take out Mike Hanlon. Man, I love it. It's so awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we could, uh, we can and do talk about it all the time. And obviously, we'd like to talk about the new film um, and how Mike plays off with the other characters there. But we're still waiting for part two, and we don't even know who's playing Mike yet. Yeah, I think once that gets cast, maybe we'll do a comparison show. You know, the old mm-hmm. one versus the new one, and. and dedicate some real time to it but if you um, are curious about who could be cast in the film we did put up a good little post on geek um about some actors we'd like to see in the roles of the adult version you should check out we'll put it in the show notes and that article was written by adam popovich who is our unruly guest on the last (laughs) episode um and aside from his pick for Richie Tozier, uh, I think he did pretty excellent on all the other casting. But yeah, yeah Tozier go, got go some Go check flack. it out at geekexchange.com. And in the meantime, we'll move up the list to number two. Now, these top two this are sort of the inspiration for this list. They are undoubtedly your top two, and um, the rest of the list was kind of formed around them. Uh-huh. <clears throat> so number two... Here's another classic 80s sequel, um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 from 1986 with Dennis Hopper. Um, Batshit insane film, like, just... <laughs> totally oh. crazy. Um, this is a movie, uh, if you haven't seen this, it starts out early on at... Uh, with a radio station. So the, the Texas Chainsaw crew is on the road, and they're stalking these guys. And the guys, um, there's a recording on the radio. Like, the, they do a call-in or something. And uh, so the radio station has a recording of sort of these killings in the background. Or I'm sorry, it's been a while since I watched the movie. I don't remember exactly what's on the recording. Uh-huh. But basically it leads to uh, Leatherface and crew after they kill these guys initially, decide they need to go to the radio station to get rid of this recording. Once they get to the radio station, um, the people working are Vanita Brock, who is our, you know, pretty lead character. Um, She's our our final girl for the movie. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, L.G. McPeters, who is her sound technician. And uh, he's played... name I've ever heard. Just... Yeah. Very not made up. L.G. McPeters. What do you think the L and the G stand for? Uh, Long Gun McPeters. <laughs> um, that's probably what it is. It's probably Long Gun. It's forever going to be Long Gun McPeters now. So uh, McPeters is played by Lou Perryman, who unfortunately passed away a few years back, 2009, I think it was. Um, he was sort of a Toby Hooper uh, staple. And Toby, he worked in on the crew of the first Texas chainsaw movie he was in poltergeist he was in texas chainsaw 2 um so he's kind of a. while the name might not be known by everybody he's he was an important staple of 70s and 80s horror Uh um important piece of it at least yeah staple strong (laughs) so lg mcpeters is our unsung hero here for a couple of reasons and chiefly among them the amount of abuse that this guy takes throughout the movie and the fact that he keeps, <laughs> he just keeps ticking away, and yeah. he keeps trying to help Vanita Brock, um, you know, escape her situation. They get um, initially he gets attacked with a hammer and knocked out. You know, he gets smashed in the head with a hammer a bunch of times at the beginning. 
So right away, you're uh, like, well, this guy's done. Yep. Game over they, for you, LG. Yeah, and in here, in the in the Texas Chainsaw remakes, um, the family name is Hewitt, but that wasn't the case back then. Back mm, then, it was Sawyer. Sawyer. So the Sawyer family, um, who are uh, fresh off a win from like a chili cookout, <laughs> where they're apparently selling like uh, human meat in this chili, and people mm-hmm. love it. Um, it's good chili, Soylent chili. Yep. So they they take uh, Vanita and Long Gun back to their house, <laughs> back to the Sawyer farm, and um, you think you think McPeters is dead. And eventually he wakes up and he helps Vanita and then uh, he ends up getting knocked out again and then his face gets cut off. They start skinning him alive. Ugh. And so you're like, well, he's for sure dead now. Definitely going to die. Yeah. And then while Vanita, uh, who they call Stretch, when Stretch is trying to escape, she comes across McPeters, assumes he's dead, and he wakes up and he fucking gives her his face to wear... <laughs> <laughs> to like help her get out of there. Like I don't I'm not sure why that was necessary, but uh you know like I don't know what else this guy could have done. To, yes, they, uh, some people say this guy will give you the shirt off his back, but this guy will literally give you the face off of his head. Yeah. He's like, "Here, take my face." You know, I think at, at one point he just came to came to the realization that he was never leaving the Sawyer house. Mhm. And uh so he thought if Stretch could get out, that was good enough for him. But Take a part of me with you. You can throw it in the ocean when you're an 80-year-old woman. This guy, LG McPeters, is not one for self-preservation. He was, <laughs> uh, he was not concerned with getting out of there himself. Um, but he deserves more credit. Nobody talks about him. This, uh, this is a great character in, in horror, and um, we just felt like he needed his due. Heart of gold. No face. <laughs> Long gun McPeters, may you rest <laughs> in peace. Uh, because we want to keep it short, let's uh, let's move on to number one on the list. This is, uh, at least for me, undeniable. One of my all-time favorite movie characters. and uh, Which is quite actually... a statement, like, all-time for... favorite movie characters ever. Yeah, especially for a character with no speaking lines. Mm-hmm. Um, 1977, Wes Craven's The Hills Have Eyes saw the uh, introduction of a German shepherd called The Beast. And uh, Beast returned for the sequel, and then he's also present in The Hills Have Eyes remake. But we want to talk about the original 77 movie here. And And Beast uh, is actually short for badass motherfucker. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, in this movie... In the, the Wes Craven classic. And this is one of my favorite uh, horror movies of the 70s. I think mm-hmm. this is another... Uh, the movie on a whole is very underrated. Um, this family is traveling through the desert. And there's these, like, mutant hill people. Um, <laughs> and they set a trap. And uh, cause, cause this family's car and RV to break down. You know, they're pulling a trailer behind them. Cause well, them to break driving down. through the desert, first of all. But... Yep. Um, hey, the guy at the gas station said it was a shortcut. Right, no, right. This is Crazy Ralph? <laughs> kind of. Yeah. He's more so Cabin in the Woods Crazy Ralph yeah. than real Crazy Ralph, because I think he, like, original Crazy Ralph from Friday the 13th had a bad feeling about it and warned people away from Crystal Lake. 
Um, I think the guy on Hills Have Eyes is more complicit. Like the yeah, Hill he people, straight up gets yeah. paid in human stew or something. Yep, and they they allow him to operate his business, but he has to send them tourists. So um, it's good work, I bet. I mean, <laughs> so the the family have two dogs. Uh, the Carter family, and it's Big Bob and Ethel are the the parents, and uh, it's their adult children and the God, dogs. God, there's no sexier name than Ethel, am I right? <laughs> Ethel Carter. I don't know. Uh. Big Bob. Big Bob Carter is pretty sexy. Yeah. Um. And uh, <laughs> did we get derailed? Damn it, Big Bob. <laughs> we got a little derailed. So anyway, the family. And in this one, instead of Crazy Ralph, it's Fred is the name of the guy at the beginning. Mm, loco but, Fred. Um, so the family has with them two German shepherds, and it's Beauty and the Beast. And when they break down, Big Bob decides he's going to go you know, look for help or whatever. And he's a retired cop, so he's pretty confident in himself. Um, and the dogs stay back with all the, the girls at the, the car. And uh, they know something's out there. And Beauty takes off, and she gets into the hills, and she ends up getting killed by one of these hill people. Well, this sends the beast into a blood rage. So throughout the rest of the movie, Beast is slowly picking off these hill people one at a time and keeping the family alive. And it's near infuriating because they never acknowledge it. Like, uh-huh. like the family does not acknowledge that they're only alive because Beast has killed like six people since the movie started. <laughs> Where's and, that uh, damn dog? <laughs> yeah, he just keeps picking them off, and they're just like, oh, you know, like that dog deserves a fucking ribeye steak yeah. dinner or something. Um, but uh, the dog's just totally badass. He, he's like the John J. Rambo of dogs. He huh. just systematically is, like, stalking and killing these these mutant freaks one at a time. Yeah, it's first-blooding all over him. He is first-blooding all over... You killed, Be- you killed Beauty, you are fucking dead now? Yeah. I'm gonna kill you? Um, and the... Uh, I like him best in the first movie. In the, in the remake, he's still in there and he's still fucking people up, but it's not to the same extent. He's much more controlled in mm-hmm. the new movie. Um, yeah, they definitely put the onus on like uh, Iceman or Pyro's character, whatever the hell his name. Yeah, is. Aaron, Aaron Aaron Stanfield, yeah. I think. Yeah, and he was in um, the La Femme Nikita show, and he's on Twelve Monkeys now. Yes, he was Pyro in the X Men movies, but before that, before um, or actually, no, it is after X Men. I think Hills Have Eyes came after X Men. Yeah, the remake. But anyway, Beast is awesome. He is, uh, you don't need speaking lines to be sweet. You know, some of my favorite characters come from Tarantino movies where they're my favorite because they talk all the time because yeah. they say witty things. And But Beast, much like John J. Rambo, doesn't need to do a lot of talking. He's just here to fuck shit up. And, and get uh, no credit whatsoever. Yep. No appreciation. Poor bastard. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's our top five, our unsung horror heroes. We'd be interested uh, if anybody out there has any anybody they think deserve to be on this list. Oh, there's got to be more unsung heroes. Oh, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's tons. So that's I'm curious to see what everyone else's picks would be. 
If the, you want to hit us up on the Nerd Server Facebook page or leave a, a comment on the site, um, we'd love to, to hear back from you. We are thinking possibly for a future show we might do uh, answer some listener questions. Ooh. So if anybody has any uh, any questions they want to um, forward on to me or Scoot, or you can leave them on the Facebook page or um, on the website again, uh, let us know, and we'll... Uh, once we get enough of them, we'll we'll formulate a show around it. That could be problematic. <laughs> it could be. For the meantime, though, I guess that's uh that's all we really have for this week. Unless Scoot, was there, there anything else you wanted to talk about? Um, it's been a while since we yeah. did an episode, so been a bit. We're in a bit of a holdover mode, but uh, no, nah, I mean we'll have some more episodes coming. They're not quite as updated as we like, but that'll be coming back around soon as well. Yeah, and uh, Sanchez couldn't be with us today because he sucks. So yeah, fuck you, Sanchez. <laughs> and there it is. Uh, so until next episode, thank you for listening. Um, this should have been an easy one. I think it's been our shortest episode. Yeah, but... And uh, I hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see everybody soon. All video sound bites are owned by their respective studios. Our theme music is written by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, used through Creative Commons license. Every town has an elf.